Hey, welcome to the Road and Morale podcast. Did you ever feel like screaming out in the office on Zoom or outside the school gate? For the love of God, come on, really? And if this is you and you're looking for an honest, fun and frank podcast on life and business, then sit back and listen to me, Rona Morrell. I'll be bringing great people on the show to talk, share and debate their life experiences and business challenges. Keeping the show unpolished, but with a fun and unique British style. With sarcasm, tenacity, or maybe a few swear words or tears. This podcast keeps it real, honest, raw, and removes the bullshit in the only way I know how. Through authenticity and getting shit done. Think of it less like the Housewives of New York or Towie with the lipo and drama, and more like the house lives of the real world. I hope you'll take something away to be better informed, laugh, smile, or maybe even finally get in the confidence to shout, come on really. So enjoy. Hey Greg, welcome to the Rona Morale podcast. How are you? Hi Rona, very good thanks. Lovely to see you. Excellent. Well, listen, for the listeners out there, um, I am delighted to introduce uh, Greg Weston to you. I've known Greg for 20 years now. Um, the, the bit that we were just talking about pre-recording was, uh, was quite funny about the, the, the old days in London. But the story that I want to share with you today, well, Greg's story, is really this kind of journey of recovery. And Greg used to work as an investment salesman back in London. And one weekend the boys had decided to go on this golfing trip um and knowing what you group of boys are like um we always knew it was going to be a good weekend um however things took a massive turn and in june 2011 on a night out you fell over and you banged your head on a curb now what that ultimately resulted in was Greg being on life support in the hospital. His friends didn't know where he was until the hospital phoned. And in no uncertain terms, the doctor was very clear with your, with your father that it was very unlikely you would survive. And even if you did survive, you would be in a brain dead state. So obviously those conversations were, were deeply um, upsetting and the question was asked do we turn the life support machine off and at that moment your dad had said yes because he didn't want you to live in that state you woke up that's right yeah yeah so basically as as they went to turn the machine off um I opened my eyes so it was it just uh, uh, it wasn't meant to be I was meant to be alive so on that huge bombshell, um, I guess that's where your journey then um, started. And obviously it was all then about, you know, you were in a wheelchair and fighting to, to learn those life skills again um, and how to live independently. So if we could, could we go back to that night and just take us through that journey that you have been on in the last, what, you know, 10 years? Yeah. Of course, yeah. So I, I, I can. What, what's very strange about my um, my brain injury is my long term memory is actually really good. It's my short term memory. So like you know, someone will tell me their name and I'll just forget it immediately, sort of thing. But long term, I can remember everything. So I can actually remember 
leaving my house in my car on, on the morning of June the 25th, 2011, driving down to Bournemouth. It was actually like a little sort of, um, we had to get, where we played golf, you had to get on like a car ferry just to go across the bay sort of thing. And I remember getting, getting on the ferry and parking up next to um, Phil Hughes and James Padmore and all, all my school friends, basically, getting in their car and having a bit of banter, as we used to say, and having a chat and stuff. And then I can remember, I can actually really vividly remember playing the round of golf. It was a really windy day because it was obviously on the sea and you'd hit the ball straight and then it would blow away off the fairway. And it was a really tough game of golf. And um, I remember then going back into the clubhouse at the end of the day, meeting up with all the lads and, you know, going through the day's golf and all that kind of stuff. I can remember driving back to uh, the hotel. I can remember getting changed um, I can't remember what I was wearing. Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, I can remember having dinner with all the lads in hotel, and um, and then up, uh, up until uh, I can remember up until about midnight. Yeah. Where um, I then can no longer remember what happened, but um, at five thirty a.m. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I fell over, hit my head on a curb. Um, and what's incredible, Rona, I still to this day don't really understand it, but I actually, when I fell over, I actually, the, the, the guys I were with called an ambulance. Yeah. And I actually walked onto the ambulance. So this is just, it's just, it's just, been, it's just so crazy. So I walked onto the ambulance, got taken to Paul Hospital. Yeah. Which is just like a local hospital, do you know what I mean? Just a very, like, you know, Sony Hole Hospital would be here. Just a very local hospital. <clears throat> and um, actually put myself into the hospital bed. Doctors all checked me over and stuff like that. And then I, f and I fell into a coma. Um, so it was almost like a delayed reaction. Yeah. Which I think the medics have said is, 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 is how it kind of works. But So then, um, <clears throat> because Paul Hospital weren't... Um, equipped to deal yeah. with me they had to rush me to Southampton Hospital at that point um <clears throat> they caught the, the 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 lead doctor called my dad and this is in my blog if you remember the conversation yeah. called my dad and said um hello I remember I, I can remember my dad's written down the conversation he said um hello is that Graham Weston and my dad said yes he says do you do you have a son called Greg? And my dad said, well, I hope so, yes. And, and he said, um, he, I'm sorry to tell you that, that Greg's been in a, a serious accident. And my dad like, goes, oh, what, what happened? And so they were told him. Mm. And then I remember my dad said, the Pratt. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, very, very typical of my dad. And um, they said, uh, and he said, how serious is it? And, and doctor said it's very serious I'm afraid and my dad said what life or death and the doctor said yes I'm afraid it is Mr Weston so if you can can you get down here as soon as possible yeah so they got down there as soon as possible so I was, I was in I was actually in a coma for three weeks right. being um, kept alive simply by the life support machine and you know um, like Danny and all the yeah so what happened down. to the boys like when did they 
like find out what had happened? <laughs> they found out the next morning, I think. Because obviously, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't there for breakfast, and I, yeah, and, and so um, they they found out the next morning, and then um, where during the three weeks, I think all my friends were driving down from Birmingham to Southampton, yeah. which is a long drive, obviously, and I think they're a bit like. It's a bit rude. He's not not. I've driven all this way, and he's not even said hello. <laughs> um, and I was literally just—it's it's, it's incredible because a lot of people, Rona, say that when they've been in a coma, they remember something. Yeah. Like they—they they have these little like um, they remember hearing like a conversation or because I think all the lads, you know, I've got lots of friends from London, as you know, as well. They all came up and they were all talking to me and saying, wake up, will you, you silly sod and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And, um, sorry, excuse my language. I didn't mean to say that. Oh, anything goes on this podcast, you're all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so... Um, so you don't remember I don't anything. remember any, any, anything at all. And so then after three weeks, they had a conversation with my dad and the mother of my child, my yeah. son George, the mother of my child, and said, look, Greg hasn't shown any sign of life in the mm. three weeks that he's been on this life support machine. He's been kept alive purely by the machine and nothing else. In our professional opinion, if he does open his eyes, he will just be a vegetable. Right. He'll be brain dead. Now, would Greg want to live like that? And my dad said no, um, and Natalie and my child said no. But you can't, you can't kill George's father, sort of thing. Yeah. But anyway, they agreed. They said, well, but they, then she said, well, he wouldn't be. He wouldn't be you know, a father. Yeah, he would. He wouldn't. Yeah. Be, yeah, exactly. And um, so they they said, well, they gave they gave the consent to turn off the machine. As they went in and literally went, literally went to switch the machine off, I opened my eyes. It's just, it, it makes me go, it feels me like goosebumps even talking about it now because I guess, I mean, I'm not overly religious, but um, I guess it was God saying it's not his time yet. Maybe, and, um, maybe you did, you could hear and sense there must have been something that made you open your eyes and, at and that also, moment. Also, Rona, I, I don't know if I've told you this, but my mum passed away in 2004. Mm. And I, I, I firmly believe that she's still with me. And, you know, I, I, I just sense her when she's when I'm feeling low, I sense her around me. And stuff well, like she that. was a phenomenal woman. Yeah. And I just think uh, maybe she had something to do with it not being my time. And yeah. maybe whether she just thought, you know, He's got a son and George, what doesn't, you know, you can't put George through that. And, yeah. um, you know, it wasn't meant to be, but after, but um, again, I put this in my blog. I think um, my dad's partner put, said that um, the moment he opened his eyes, they knew that there was hope, but it was going to be a long, long road to recovery. And, and the medics at that time actually said, that, that there's no quick fix to a brain injury. I'll be recovering for the rest of my life. Yeah. I mean, here we are 10 years later and I'm still working on my physical, you know, my walking and yeah. stuff like that. So anyway, just to, is it okay for me to continue with what Of what course, happened? please. So, um, so basically, um, I went from uh, Southampton Hospital up to Warwick Hospital 
to the um, intensive care unit. So, you know, for people that have, you know, just come out of a coma type yeah. stuff. Uh, where I was being monitored all the time and, um, you know, I was bed bound. And were you, were you obviously aware then and able to communicate? Well, apparently <clears throat> not really. I, I, I'm, well, what's, I can't remember any, I was in Warwick Hospital for three months. Yeah. And I can't remember anything of that at all. Right. You know, I can't just, I'd like not even one recollection at all. Um, but I know I was in a bad way, and obviously I hadn't seen my son. In the, it was, I was my son was able to come and see me because I was in such a bad way. And um, that was was that a conscious decision um, of your ex partner because it would have been too traumatic for yeah, George? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. And also then, um, so then I got taken to the Royal Leamington Spa Rehabilitation Hospital, which is I've got more to tell you about that because I actually volunteer there now. I, I yeah. run a movement group there now, so. But so initially I was in um, a high dependency unit, so the, what, a room where there's four beds and the nurses come in and uh, check on, check your observations, like every sort of half an hour sort of thing. Yeah. I was in, I was in there for, um, well, in that room for sort of probably three months, three or four months. And then I got taken into a, a normal room and then um, I, I couldn't walk. So I was right. in a wheelchair. When I was in that high dependency unit, I was actually having to be hoisted in and out of bed. Yeah. Had to wear a nappy and it's quite, you know, obviously quite degrading for a 30-year-old man then. And I was being actually being fed via a tube into my stomach. And um, what, were the, what were the sort of... Because obviously each of those little movements from, from high dependency to rehabilitation, what were the sort of the doctors and specialists at that point saying about your <coughs> long-term prospects? Well, they said, well, this is interesting actually, because they said that I would never walk again um, and that I would be in, they actually, they actually at that point said I would be in hospital for the rest of my life. They said I would never be able to go home and live at home right certainly not independently and you like, you were aware of that you, you could understand yeah. that at that point uh, Rona I remember the day that I was told I never walk again so vividly because yeah. I remember just my whole entire world come crashing down because of being a dad and, and my, my son's just all he wants to do is play football and you know like he's just go out on his bike and stuff like that and I just remember thinking I can't spend the rest of my life in a wheelchair. A lot of people have asked me whether I've had any, thought, ever thought of taking my own life, yeah. but um, I, I haven't. And that's right. because of George. I couldn't do it to to, to my son. No. Um, but there must but, have been exceptionally, and probably still learned. now, dark, very, very dark days. Rona, like, really dark. Like, I just remember thinking, I can't spend the rest of my life in a wheelchair. I, I, I always tell my son not to use the word hate, but I hate, I hated being in a wheelchair. It was just, yeah. it was the most horrific experience of my life. However, so after about um, six months of me being in a wheelchair and told that I'd never walk again, hmm. um, you know, John Briley? JB. His, yeah, JB, his, um, his stepdad, Keith, who's, who's a great man, um, they came to visit me and Keith, Keith uh, my, my feet were sticking. I was, I was, I was bed bound, I was in bed. 
well, no, I wasn't bed bound, but I was in bed when they came to visit me. And yeah. Keith said, Keith said, your, your feet are really cold. My left foot gets really cold. Because uh, all my, all my, even to this day, like my, uh, it's all left sided. It's very similar as though I had a stroke. Right, yeah. On my left leg sort of thing. But so he said, so he massaged, and this was when I couldn't move my left leg at all. And he started massaging my left leg. And as he did, I kicked it, kicked my left leg. And he said, Greg, <clears throat> you just moved your left leg. Yeah. And so, and, and so he said, so he did it again. And I did it again. And <clears throat> went and told the, um, the physiotherapists. And they said, Greg, this means that there's a chance you could walk again. Wow. And so what in my physio, what the way I did it was um I used they used to, they had me like it's like a walking stick, but it was called a quad stick with four yeah. sort of little legs on it, and put a belt on me, like a sort of a weight training belt with handles. I remember the pictures. And yeah, I've got a video of it actually. And um I started walking again and it was just I can't put into words. But then, um, but then, so then, with, in terms of my walking, I went from walking with a quad stick mm. and a handling belt, they're called, and then I progressed to a normal walking stick and a crutch. Yeah. And um, and so um, with with that, um, uh, and then, and then, but then it's not just the walking and. Um, so I went from walking, but then as I was able to walk safely, you have to then, you have to work, learn to walk on different surfaces. So you have to read, you basically, I always say this, you go back to being like a small child. A baby you have to, again, yeah. Yeah, you have it's to. It's like trial um, and error and risk. Because we just, cause when just, you're an you, adult, you don't think about walking. Well, do you know, Rona, that's, uh, that you've hit the nail exactly on the head there. That's exactly what I was going to say. Crossing a road, I mean, you learn to, you know, learn to do that when you're like 10 or 11, you know, just how to get up the curb safely, mm. how to walk on um, different surfaces, so like how to walk on concrete, how to walk on grass, how to, um... also the other thing was they, they had to check that if I fell over, I could get back up off the floor again. Of course. Just, just to take you back slightly, and, and, and I know the listeners would be really want to hear about this. Sorry, I'm probably waffling on a bit. No, no, not at all. But I, I just want you to go back to, you did a, an interesting challenge with two of the London boys, and you were in a wheelchair at that point. When you were doing that mountain challenge, were you able to walk at all, or were you still in the wheelchair full time? Do you mean when I walked at Mount Snowden? Just drop that. I walked up Mount Snowden. Yes. Oh yeah. No, actually, I wasn't in a wheelchair at that point. Um, I so to just just to so basically so the, when I, I got if you don't mind me going back a bit, yeah. So I, I started divulging a bit. So that was in 2012 that I started walking again and was like trained to walk and stuff like that. And then um, after Leamington Hospital, I went to Hunter's Moor, which is, it, it's like, I always used to probably quite incorrect, I will answer your question, so I just need to give you a bit of background, sorry. I went to a place called Hunter's Moor, which is in Hall Green, this near Birmingham. Yeah. And that's, that I always say, it's probably incorrectly, but I always probably call it like a halfway house, 
where you learn life skills again, so how to wash and dress, how yeah. to cook safely, you know, like how to not to eat raw chicken and stuff like that, how to um, manage your finances. You just relearn all the life life skills, basically. Yeah. And then in, I was there for a year, and then in 2013, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going massively off. I will come back to Mount Snowden. It's just that was a few Don't years worry. later. So. Um, so basically, then I and when I moved home, you, you do it, you did it on like a gradual sort of phased yeah. return. So I'd start off by coming back for the day. Then and did you have a place ready for you to start that transition, or were you like? Was that with family or on in your own home? So, so, so basically in my own home. So basically I would come back for a day with one of the occupational therapists and they would check that, you know, they would just stay with me and check that I could cook and clean up and just do all the basic things. And, um, but then it stayed, then it went to me being, having a day on my own yeah. and then a, a day and a night, then a day and two nights, three nights, four nights. And then eventually, when when I sort of passed the test, if you like, for want of better words, I, uh, I I got to move home again. And I remember the first night, Rona, that I slept in my own bed, oh. like knowing that I didn't have to go back to hospital the next day. Ever. And you could get up, walk, remember, make your breakfast. I remember waking up thinking, is this real or am I dreaming? So like it was just when was in, that? So from June that, 2011. That, that was that was September 2013 was the day I moved back home. Wow. So from June, June, it was from June 2011 to September 2013. Gosh. Was, was the time I was in hospital and stuff. And so then basically when I got home, um actually when I got home, the first week was just amazing, just to be able to sit and watch, even just watching the television, the station you mm. wanted to watch and eating, <laughs> eat, eating your, making your own lunch and eating at your own table and yeah, it was, and sleeping in, sleeping in your own bed. I mean, that's something we take for granted as well, but oh, I, I, can't, I can't imagine sleeping in somebody else's bed and moving well, around we'll, for we'll, two we'll and a half years. Well, basically the, the hospital beds are like little plastic things with bits at the side yeah like a tiny little oh it's just awful and then uh, but I mean I've got without being like a big headed wave I've got like a big super king size bed that could just sport like sprawl across and you bloody deserve it (laughs) yeah never take it for granted again I'll I'll never that's one thing that I keep saying I keep saying this but you never take anything for granted again no being through that so anyway so then but then um there was a little bit of an anticlimax after that because I was just sort of what now what now yeah it was exactly that exactly that Roma uh, what now and then so then I made a conscious decision of making sure I left the house every day whether it be to do some exercise or just go to the shops or just go for a walk or whatever just just get out every day yeah and then um then I've started I've started doing some you on you you get six like physiotherapy sessions with the nhs right um and what they did actually was a quite ingenious thing i don't know if i've told you about this they gave me it's called an fes machine so it stands for functional electronic stimulation machine um and what it does is it had like a pad at the just under your knee 
and then like a button on the inside. It had like special insoles with a button in it. And when your heel hit the button, right, it sent a wireless signal up to the machine and helped pick up your foot. It was, wow. in, it was incredible. It was an incredible machine. I still remember the day when I was in Costa. But it wasn't like a shock or anything. It was just, you couldn't feel well, yeah, it. it. Yeah, you could feel it. Yeah, it was like, oh. it, it was quite a nice sort of feeling. It was like, it was like a little sort of, um, yeah. Shock, but I suppose for yeah. you, just being able to feel in your leg, yeah. it, yeah, exactly. for me, I'd be like, oh, God, that's freaking me out a bit. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, but it was just, it, really, it was really good. But it was only ever meant as like a training device. So I had it for about a year. And then when I went to see the lady, it's the West Midlands Rehabilitation Centre, the lady that actually was involved in designing it. Mm. Um, she said, it, your job's done now. Like, as in, because it like, was... no, I want to keep it. Well, she said, she, she asked me to walk with it and without it and said that it was better without it. So it done its job. Great. So that, that, was, that was great. Then, and then, then, then I decided, this is the once I'd sort of like worked on my walking. Oh, did I tell you about my weight as well? My weight... You were really to, unhappy about that, weren't you? That really yeah. kind of frustrated so basically, you. When I was in hospital, my weight actually, I, I, my fighting weight, well, not fighting weight, but my, my weight. My Your sort fighting of, weight. My fighting weight is about 13, 13 and a half stone. I'm six foot one. So that's kind of like the right BMI and stuff like that. Yeah. But um, when I was in hospital, I got to 18 and a half stone. Okay. Just from eating, like just eating terribly and being stuck in a wheelchair not exercise yeah of course yeah and that that was horrific so just to add on that, to everything else that's going on in your world I'm about the, relearning trying to walk and now you've got and now i've put a load of weight on yeah i know that that that, that didn't help to the dark days indeed no but but anyway so as as i um i lost that weight and cut out sugar out of my diet and really watch what i, I eat really cleanly now as well mm. i actually prefer to eat cleanly um, do you, I don't know if you ever heard about. Do you remember Leanne and Shane? Shane, yes. but oh my god, yes, yeah, yeah. They um, when I when I was being fed for, I, I don't want to drop them in it on a podcast, by the way. But, <laughs> drop a minute. Um, but um, they they bought me in a McDonald's when I was actually being fed for a tube into my stomach. <laughs> and how were they going to get that in you? Oh, I, I just I ate it. I got in, I got in so much trouble for that. <laughs> That's probably what it was there for as well as 18 and a half stone. I well, now I've publicly embarrassed them on uh, your podcast. So sorry about that. Oh, uh, well. Anyway, so, um, but so going, but so this is when, so what I decided to do was um, in, it was in 2018, actually. Right. I, I thought, wouldn't it be, I thought I need to set myself a challenge. So, I thought I'd set myself a challenge, and then um, on it was on Twitter actually. I yeah. saw a um, there was a little girl up in uh, Liverpool called Edie mm. who had a, a, a terrible brain tumor, and the only way for it to the only place that could treat it was a place in it was in Mexico, which obviously has cost loads of money. So I thought, I know why don't I set myself a challenge and raise some money for for her. Yeah. I so I thought, I, I, with, with hindsight, I think it was a bit too big a challenge at the time. Uh, so I'd sort of, I, I decided to walk up Mount Snowdon. As you do. With, with John Brawley and James Padmore. And um, 
I raised um, nearly three thousand pounds for Edie to do it, and and I'd got the money before it, so I thought I've got to do it because yeah. I've raised all this money. So <laughs> no going back. And uh, like, just it would take you. Say if you and Nick did it, it'd probably take you between yeah. two and three hours to do it. Yeah. I mean, I I actually did it when I was at school. I remember doing it when I was at school, and so I walked up the first half in about two hours. Wow. I was thinking that's, you know, this is going to be okay if I could do it in four hours. That'll be per- that'll be perfect. However, it went from a path, you know, obviously like at this angle, just a normal path. Yeah. The second half, it actually went into like rocks, like like literally probably about two foot high. Yeah. And I was I was I did it with my using my crutch. And um John Briley and James Padmore bless them, they were just amazing. I had to um I'd have been crawling on my hands and knees, I think. Yeah, I had to, I because I, I, I could pick my right leg that high, yeah. but my left leg I really struggled with. So they were actually blessed than actually having to lift my left leg up for me. Oh, and I'm not joking, Rona, it was, it, we did it in August and the it was literally hailing, oh, sleeting. Oh no. I remember was, seeing the videos thinking, it, a, it just looked completely wrong for the time of year, and it looked yeah. horrendous. The wind was just coming down so hard in your face, like against you, making it like someone like trying yeah. to push you over, which I don't really need anyway. <laughs> um, Thanks for that, and, Mother Nature. Yeah, and the rain, sleet, it was just the most horrific conditions ever. And um, in, in, in the end, it took seven and a half hours. Wow, and to, to just get to the top? Yeah. Oh my God, and then you've got and to got get the back train, down. We got the train oh. back down. Yeah, John, and, John and Paddy actually admitted when we got to the top that they were thinking of calling the mountain rescue in at one point because they, really? they just didn't, uh, didn't think we were going to be able to do it. It was, it was just so, so tough. But that's interesting in itself because you want to do it. You want to set that goal for yourself it needs to be challenging you want to earn you know get the money for ed but equally there's a point where you can't be stupid about something like this this you you know um, you've already been in a life and death situation and and for jb and james like the thought of putting you in a situation that could put you back must have been really hard for them as well yeah i mean it was like it's exactly exactly as you say it's like um yeah no i didn't want to end up going back in hospital because of it but we did it, and yeah. one of my favourite sayings, I think I've told you this before, is nothing is impossible. The word itself says I'm possible. And I kind of like, I kind of, kind of try and live that as my sort of mantra. Yeah. Sort of. And then and the, I, year, the year after, I then, um, there's another girl called Leone who's got cerebral palsy, and I did, decided to do an event for her. I did the Stratford 10K. Yeah, uh, which I, I came last in, but I got a standing ovation at the end. There you go. Uh, so then that was great, and to give little uh, Leone the medal. But to come that. last and get a standing ovation and achieve ten k, I can tell you right now that I would struggle to do ten k. Well, I, I, I was the only I was the only person that had a disability. Yeah. Um, that did it. And so, yeah, it was, it was, it really filled my heart with, and to see little Edie's face at the end, I gave her my medal and stuff like that. And we raised like another two or 3,000 pounds for that. It was wonderful. Yeah. Amazing. 
That was good. Sorry, I told you I'm going to do lots of talking. I, I need to let you speak now. No, the podcast is about the guests. It's not about me at all. I just wanted to bring your your journey to to the listeners and I think I still find it hard now for you know when Nick and I talk about it it's like getting that call and knowing what had happened and just seeing these little milestones that you were doing and I remember the video of you going was it up the stairs or down the stairs I can't remember yeah the gym that yeah and it was like oh my god this is this is somebody who if you'd not have opened your eyes in that moment we wouldn't be seeing this journey. I wouldn't be talking to you now. And there are lots of people going through really tough times. And some people um, live with lifelong debilitating issues. And just your story of of hope, resilience, um, and kind of not giving up. And all those things that you said earlier that you take for granted, just eating and cooking and walking and sleeping. I mean... I need more people to realize, and especially during these times of COVID, these are the things that matter. It's family, it's friends. So not at all. I think hearing the story and exactly, is like being able to hug my son and tell him I love him. And how is George? It, it, it's his birthday today. He's 13 today. Oh my God, he's hit so teenagers. Like happy birthday, out. George. I'd like to give a little shout out to George and say happy birthday. I always say to George that I gave him life and he gave me a reason to live. Oh. And that is so true. I, 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 he's, he's, he's been my inspiration to get better. Actually, do you know what? <clears throat> and this is, I don't know if this is why the stars align, but in a couple of hours, I'm recording a podcast with another lady who, um, who also had a tragic event in 2011 and with, with the death of her son. And um, oh. it's the one thing that I know kept her going was, was her daughter. So it's really weird that I'm, I'm recording these two podcasts on the same day, realizing they both happened in 2011 and you yeah. both have incredible stories. So, is, so is, have you got time for me to tell you about my volunteering? or do you Absolutely. Have to I want to move on to that now. So <laughs> obviously we, we, we've now come forward nearly a decade. Um, tell me how you've harnessed that, that journey and those energies into what you're doing now. So basically what, um, as I, I might have touched on it earlier, that I I believe my accident happened to me for a reason. That's why I try not to get too depressed and down about it and just think, look, I've been given a second opportunity at life, you know, very nearly yeah. having died, as you said, to use my experience to help other people. And so my volunteering is so, so rewarding. I run what's called a movement group at the Leamington Spa Rehabilitation Hospital where I was a, a, a patient. Yeah. And so I'm able to use my experience, particularly with like my left arm weaknesses. And there's a lot of people have had strokes in there and um, physical uh, disabilities and stuff. So I've actually designed like an exercise program um, to help, you know, so we we start off, we do exercises all around the body. So starting at the head, shoulders, arms, all the way down to the legs and stuff like that. We then do... um, we do some dancing to, to some music, you know. No, you were never a very good dancer, Greg. So never, that, never, that... darling, never, no, but it's seat, seated dancing. So you just stuff ah. like, so we just do like um, YMCA and right. uh, wind the bobbin in, in or whatever it's called, you know, just to get the hand-eye coordination going. Yeah, no big box, little box. 
No, no, darling. As you say, I was never, never one for those. We, uh, yeah, no, we're not going. I'm not, not going to go there. I was going to start talking about podiums in uh, Puants and stuff like that, but I won't go there. Time for it. That's maybe, maybe the next podcast. Yeah. Um, and then uh, <laughs> we play some ball games, you know, like um, <clears throat> we lose balloons, you know, like part battered balloon around and stuff like that. And then we do a bit of meditation at the end. Nice. And I was really, really honoured actually to, I, I won uh, the South Warwickshire Special Recognition Award for my volunteering. So I got presented by the mayor of, of Warwick for that. So that was that. It's, it's nice to be recognised. Isn't it, it strange though how the people who are doing the most good are those people that, like you said, have been given a second chance. And I just wish that humanity in general could be more giving and more kind. Absolutely, uh, particularly, particularly in these times. Mm. I mean, like, um, we're here back in March when um, COVID, you know, it was March yeah. 17th or something when COVID yeah. came out. I actually felt really ill and um, I phoned the NHS helpline and they told me to self-isolate for a week. And all my, we've got uh, one of the neighbours has very, very kindly set up a WhatsApp um, Brembridge Close. I live in like, a, like, a, like for our close yeah. WhatsApp group, just like for support and stuff like that. And they used to drop me over food and paracetamol and stuff like that and yeah it did it did actually bring out a lot of kindness as well which is good isn't it because you need kindness in these times massively yeah the community around there me there was a couple of ladies who were going around our local pub with the sponsorship of a local firm um were able to feed every everyone over the age of 70 they gave them a free That's meal every wonderful. day um and thank god for that because i think had it have been left to you know kind of national support a lot of people would have been in a worse place i know i became an nhs responder <laughs> um although still to this day i've never been called upon for help so um but yeah i think yeah and uh, at the because uh, uh, it's uh, you've hit uh, yet again you've hit the nail on the head because <laughs> the um there's a lot of patients obviously at the Leamington Rehab now that, you know, they're just say they're bed bound or in a wheelchair or whatever, and they can't have mm. people coming in to visit them in, in these times. That's so, so hard, but, your... but we, we can, we can help in that respect. My, the volunteer, uh, the, the sort of my volunteer manager, if you like, has just got some iPads. Right. To go and so we can just help and just communicate with the. So can you still go in every week and do your sessions or are they dialing I in? For I can't, I can't do the sessions at the moment. Right. Because of all the social distancing. <clears throat> yeah. In the room that we do it in, then normally they'd be sat next to each other. Okay. But with the social distancing and, and all the regulations stop that, but we can still go and visit, obviously wearing the masks and the yeah. gowns and all that kind of stuff. We can still go and just even talking to the, patients yeah. just 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 I used to get Human so contact, lonely, isn't it? yeah I used to get very lonely and stuff but yeah and I know obviously for for the listeners um Greg has a Facebook page and has a blog and I know you've been interviewed on radio before and um I'm sure far more professional than than my podcast nah. but listen I I wanted to bring this this journey to the forefront because I honestly could could genuinely talk to you for hours and Greg when we can get out and about again, you're not that far from me. I'm only the other side of Birmingham. So let's definitely get a coffee in um, or a tea. Um, 
but thank you for just being so open and honest and I know we've we've covered a decade in what is sort of 40 minutes um, and I don't underestimate the journey that you and many other people have been on um, but just that goosebump moment of, of hope and completely proving the doctors wrong I think I look at you now you're you're Greg you're walking you've still got your sense of humor um, you're doing great things for your community and I just want to say a massive thank you thank you for fighting thank you for making us laugh on Facebook even through you know some adversities that you've been through you've always put a smile <laughs> on our faces so yeah just a massive oh, thank, thank you. you thank you Rona it's so lovely to see you and also thank you for giving me the opportunity as well you're very welcome. And I will see you very, very soon. Definitely. All right. Take care, Greg. Thank you. Bye, Rona. Bye. Bye. So that's it. You've made it. The show's over. Thank you for being with us. I hope you've been able to take something away, maybe solve a problem, or just know you're not alone. Here's hoping it made you smile with a few laughs along the way. Please feel free to find me on all social media channels, and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just search the Rona Morale podcast. Have an awesome day, and see you next time.